Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Michigan plays a central role in the recent federal indictment of former President Donald Trump. We're going to spend today talking about the many connections between our state and people from here and what happened in particular on January 6th. 2021, when Trump helped inspire several efforts to overturn the legitimate results of the 2020 presidential election. We'll also talk about how local officials are trying to be sure we have safe and secure elections in 2024. That's next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've joined us. Before this year, no former American president had ever been indicted. But now we have a former president, the immediate past president, in fact, who has been indicted an awful lot. Donald Trump was indicted first in New York on charges stemming from hush money payments that he made during his 2016 presidential campaign to bury allegations of extramarital relations. He was then indicted in a federal case in Florida. And that charge, those charges, were related to the mishandling of classified documents, including sensitive documents about America's nuclear capabilities. And then on Tuesday of this week... Trump, who is still the frontrunner for the Republican presidential nomination in 2024, was indicted again, this time over his efforts to overturn the 2020 election results. Specifically, a federal grand jury charged Trump with four felony counts, including conspiracy to defraud the United States and conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. Now, the interesting thing about all of this, besides the history and the legacy and the impact of those things on our nation, is the central role that Michigan, the state we all live in, plays in these recent charges. Michigan is mentioned almost 40 times in the 45-page grand jury indictment including a long section about how Trump attempted to overturn the election in our state. The indictment specifically says Trump knowingly attempted to block vote counting in Michigan, among other states. For his part, of course, Trump is saying he didn't do anything wrong. He says he's being targeted by Democrats who are trying to prevent him from reclaiming the presidency, which he is actively doing. He is absolutely a candidate for president again in 2024. And if you believe the polls, he is the most likely person to represent the Republican Party, at least at this point, in November of next year. A little later in the hour, we're going to talk with Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson about what happened during the 2020 election and more generally about election security here in Michigan. We're also going to talk with a Trump voter, originally from Michigan, about what he makes of all this. If you've been following the news, you know 
that at least within the Republican Party, none of these indictments, none of the news about these indictments seems to be changing anybody's mind. They're all pretty solidly behind former President Trump. We're going to find out some of the reasons why. But first, we want to discuss this latest indictment against Trump, including how serious are these charges? What will the political consequences be, not just in the short term, but as we get into these cases and there are hearings and maybe even a trial or more than one trial because of these indictments? Also, what are Michigan Republicans going to make of all of this? We're one of the states that will go first next year in the primaries in the Republican Party to decide who represents the party on the presidential ballot. To discuss some of those things, we have got Jonathan Osting here with us. He is an award-winning political porter who covers the Capitol for Bridge, Michigan, and he has been writing about this most recent Trump indictment. Jonathan, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hey, good morning, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Also with us is Craig Mauger. He covers state government and politics for the Detroit News and has also been covering this recent indictment of Donald Trump and, of course, the connections to folks here in Michigan. Craig, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hey, good morning. So, Jonathan, I'm going to start with you. Give us the basics of this indictment. Uh, These are federal charges leveled against Trump for trying to overturn the election. What are federal prosecutors claiming he did wrong? Yeah, I mean, so essentially, you know, the the indictment details a lot of things we knew already. Obviously, Trump and his allies uh, did attempt to overturn election results in Michigan and other states. What this indictment alleges is that that was a criminal act. Trump, of course, has free speech rights. But what Special Prosecutor Jack Smith is alleging is that Trump knowingly lied about um about the election security in 2020, and that those lies fueled uh, the attack on the U.S. Capitol on January 6th of 2021. Um, So, uh, again, we've known all this before, but the indictment lays out uh, why the special prosecutor believes what Trump did was actually a crime. Um, Of course, that's going to be up to uh, courts and likely a jury to decide at some point, uh, potentially, uh, if the case is resolved uh, uh, before potentially Trump re- returns to the White House, in which case he could, uh, you know, change the attorney general and probably get the charges dismissed. So mm-hmm. there's an interesting timing wrinkle here as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Craig, in June, our attorney general here in the state of Michigan, Dana Nessel, filed felony charges against 16 Republicans who signed a c- certificate falsely stating that Donald Trump won Michigan's 2020 presidential election. Talk about the connection between those charges and what we are seeing coming out of Washington against Donald Trump. There is a real nexus there. Yeah, I mean, there are an an extreme amount of connections between the case that Jack Smith is bringing against Donald Trump and what is happening in Michigan. I think a lot of Michigan residents don't realize at this point how front and center Michigan is in this effort to hold individuals accountable for the effort to overturn the 2020 presidential election. You have the case against the electors that Dana Nessel has brought. These 16 individuals that signed a certificate and submitted it saying that Donald Trump had won the state's electoral votes in hopes of causing some type of uh, move on January 6th 
to hand the election to Donald Trump. Then you also have what's happening with the tabulator probe, this group of individuals who work to obtain voting machines in Michigan. And we're recently two of them were recently charged with felonies uh, in Oakland County. Michigan is at the forefront of this. And I think the connection that you're kind of talking about is there was a sustained effort by supporters of Donald Trump to subvert and undermine this election. It started with, according to Jack Smith's indictment, uh, spreading knowingly false information. They spread lies, according to the special counsel, that they knew were not uh, correct to try to undermine the election. Then they advanced this elector certificate and made other moves to try to legally give the election to Donald Trump despite his loss to Joe Biden. And then the third step of this was what happened on January 6th, where in this last-ditch move by Donald Trump, he tried to um, encourage his supporters to show up in Washington, D.C. and essentially cause chaos there. Yeah. Um, We have had a lot of developments here in the state of Michigan with regard to uh, unpacking what happened, you know, in the run-up to, to, to January 6th. Um, does this indictment, this federal indictment, make it clearer uh, in some way about what happened and clearer about the role that Donald Trump perhaps played in uh, getting people here to do the things uh, that they are now charged with doing? Jonathan, does, do we learn more about this, this connection in this indictment? Well, we learned a little bit more, but I think there's more to come. I mean, we knew a lot of this stuff already through uh, great reporting here in Michigan by Craig and others, but also, um, you know, the the January 6th Congressional Committee produced a report that was something like 800 pages, so mm-hmm. much more detail about essentially this same thing. What, what Jack Smith did, uh, the, the special prosecutor in this indictment, is sort of, you know, succinctly, I mean, it's still 45 pages, but in a relatively succinct fashion, um, sum up some of the key points. As far as Michigan, there were a couple um, what was that, you know, things that were new to me, at least, um, including a, a, some text messages that uh, an unnamed co-conspirator, co-conspirator who pretty clearly is Rudy Giuliani, the, the former president's personal attorney, sent to both uh, then House Speaker Lee Chatfield in Michigan and then Senate Majority Leader Mike Schurke in Michigan, essentially saying, um, you know, help me get this done. <laughs> that's, that's literally what Rudy told, uh, told Lee Chatfield in a text um, to, uh, you know, block um, the, the electoral vote in Michigan or somehow uh, undermine it and say that the election is dispute in dispute uh, so that they could have handed that to, to Mike Pence as a justification for perhaps not uh, finally certifying the election nationally on January 6th. Yeah. So, so Craig, one of the things that, that strikes me out of what we learned yesterday and what we continue to learn, I think, in state court is how close this was to maybe succeeding or at least really disrupting uh, the counting of uh, the ballots uh, on Election Day in 2020, as well as uh, the the certification of those ballots on January 6th of 2021 uh, in, in, in Washington. This was not uh, just some kind of rabble of, of disgruntled people protesting. This was an organized effort uh, with a lot of people taking on authority that they probably shouldn't and didn't have uh, to make sure that somebody who clearly got fewer votes here in the state of Michigan 
uh, was going to end up uh, getting the majority and maybe even end up staying in the White House. Yeah, I mean, you make a great point and a, a few things on that and what Jonathan said. I mean, number one, how close were they? I mean, they might have been a Mike Pence away from this plan succeeding. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you really think about what they were plotting out and who eventually did stand in the way, I mean, there were a handful of people at various points in this scheme who, who stood in the way. Two of them, apparently, from what we know right now in Michigan, were Michigan, then Michigan Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky and then House Speaker Lee Chatfield, who were being pressured uh, to intervene and try to overturn the result of the election through some type of legislative action. It doesn't appear legally that they had any means to do that, but Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani were pressuring them to do it. And we, you know, really importantly, we see in these legal documents what Donald Trump's team were texting and messaging to Mike Shirky and Lee Chatfield. We have heard what Mike Shirky says he told Donald Trump in the White House. It will be fascinating to see what the text messages back from Lee Chatfield and Mike Shirky were to these individuals. What were they actually saying? Because it wasn't like Mike Shirky and Lee Chatfield completely washed their hands of all of this and said, hey, this is wrong. We're not participating in this. One of the key moments in this indictment comes on December 2nd. That is the day, December 2nd, 2020. That is the day, this isn't mentioned in the indictment, but on December 2nd, Rudy Giuliani appeared. This was allowed by the Michigan House leadership. They allowed Rudy Giuliani to come to Lansing and lay out his case for overturning the election. He directly appealed to the House Republicans during a public hearing for them to intervene in this election. That same day, there's an instance that is mentioned in the indictment. On December 2nd, Donald Trump gives a public speech from the White House. You can see it on C-SPAN. There's video of it still on the website. And during this speech, he lays out his case for why he believes the result in Detroit, Michigan's largest city, Democratic stronghold, why he believes Detroit is, quote, totally corrupt. In the indictment, Jack Smith says that this was a knowingly false statement from the president. The president had been told by multiple people there was nothing wrong with the election in Detroit to to change the outcome. There was nothing found there. But the president continued to pressure this point on Detroit. Why is this important? Well, the election in Michigan was not that close, 154,000 votes. Mm -hmm. So to try to challenge this result, what do you have to do? You have to find a lot of votes to try to call into question. So, So what was the action that they took? Question the city where you could try to somehow throw out a huge number of votes that would call into question 154,000 vote difference. It's really quite quite extraordinary yeah. and troubling. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan, I want to talk a little about the politics of this here in the state of Michigan. The, the GOP is in, I think, there's, there's no other word to use but chaos to describe what's going on inside the state party right now. Some of that is because of the split over over Donald Trump, uh, do the charges that are uh, showing up both in state court against folks here and now the federal charges against uh, Donald Trump, do they change the picture for the state GOP? Do they change maybe the picture for Republican voters here in the state who, who, as they are in other states, seem to be clinging still to Donald Trump even despite all of the, the trouble he faces and all of the information that comes out about 
how serious what was done uh, on January 6th in the run-up to January 6th, 2021 was. Yeah, well, look, I haven't seen any recent public polling on it, so I can only speak anecdotally. But, I mean, certainly uh, the reaction to the extent there has been one for now this third indictment has been pretty muted, but, uh, you know, along lines that you would expect. There are in the Michigan Republican Party right now, especially the apparatus itself, many Trump loyalists, diehard supporters, and uh, I don't think this is going to change many of their opinions. Um, That said, there are folks, you know, so-called never-Trumpers or newly converted Mm -hmm. never-Trumpers in the Republican Party who certainly do not want Trump to be the nominee, but I think he's pretty clearly still the front-runner to win the nomination again in in Michigan and uh, nationally, and and uh, I don't think this indictment is going to immediately change that. I mean, to the extent it's going to have an impact, uh, it could be more so in the general election. You know, those um, those folks who have soured on Trump, who are traditional Republicans, will they do what they did in 2016? Ultimately decide that, uh, you know, he's better than the alternative and vote for him again? Or will they do it? A lot of them did in 2020 and uh, either sit out or or not vote for Donald Trump. So uh, I think, you know, any real impact we're going to see could be in the general election. And, of course, there's a lot of developments that could happen between now and then in terms of uh, court dates, trials, documents that, um, you know, are produced uh, as these cases progress. Uh, So we'll see. Yeah. Okay, uh, Jonathan Osting of Bridge, Michigan, and Craig Mogger of the Detroit News, two guys who have really been shining an awful lot of light on what's going on both here in Michigan and the connection to what's now going on in Washington with the charges against uh, Donald Trump. Great to have both of you here to talk with our listeners on Detroit Today. Thanks for joining. Thank you. Thanks. We're going to take a quick break and we come back. We're going to continue this conversation about the indictment of Donald Trump in Washington, the second indictment of him in Washington. But this time we're going to talk a little more about the frame of election security. We're going to talk with Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, who has been working an awful lot on election reform, uh, expanding election access here in the state of Michigan. Uh, We're going to talk about all the things that she is trying to do to make elections more secure. Here in Michigan. We're going to go back in time a little bit to that night of the vote counting here in Detroit in 2020. Talk about how narrowly we missed some real disruption to the elections. We also want to get going with you on the phones and on Twitter. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. What do you think of the second federal indictment of Donald Trump? We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've decided to join us. We've been talking about the recent, the most recent indictment of Donald Trump, the former president of the United States, who threw into question the legitimacy of Michigan's voting system after the 2020 elections. We now want to talk with Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson about how she remembers that election, all of the controversy uh, that was injected into the vote counting after that election, and what she's been doing 
before that and since to try to protect the vote here in our state. Secretary Benson, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning. Yeah, Thanks for having me. Good to be back. to have you here. Uh, so Trump is now being indicted for his actions during the 2020 election. Uh, here he is claiming that his supporters were being blocked from observing the voting process in Detroit. Let's take a listen to what he said. Detroit is another place I wouldn't say has the best reputation for election integrity. Poll workers in Michigan were duplicating ballots, but when our observers attempted to challenge the activity, those poll workers jumped in front of the volunteers to block their view so that they couldn't see what they were doing. And it became a little bit dangerous. It became a little bit dangerous. A very stark description of uh, the way we run our elections here in the state of Michigan. Uh, Jocelyn, Tell me what your reaction was to what happened here in Detroit in 2020 and what you make of what the former president says about how we do things in the city of Detroit. Well, I will start by saying both Detroit's elections and Michigan's elections, not just in 2020, but other times as well, have been transparent, secure, fair, and accessible. And we work every cycle to improve that in partnership with the clerks and um, folks all around the state and indeed in many cases the country. But when it comes to 2020, we had an incredible amount of people inside uh, what was then uh, TCF Center, I believe. I can't never keep track of the name at one time, but the, the convention center in downtown Detroit, we had hundreds of observers from both parties, uh, which we invite in every election. Uh, and it's actually, to me, a really important part of the process to be that transparent. But we draw the line when those observers cross into becoming disruptive and try to actually interfere with the counting of valid votes. And to a certain extent, that happened in 2020. It's been attempted other times as well. And we have a very strict policy. And, and, and I, should, I shouldn't say we because it's not like I'm there, but you have staff from the Detroit City Clerk's Office in particular, uh, as well as uh, former Michigan Elections Director Chris Thomas, who's been and was in 2020 advising the city of Detroit and helping them with the procedures, making sure that everything's going smoothly. And so anytime anyone disrupts those procedures, tries to intimidate a poll worker or anyone else from counting a valid vote uh, or block the process, then they will be removed, and rightfully so, under the law. So you have a conflagration of all of those things happening, but at the same time, you have then politicians coming in, including the former president, trying to cast aspersions falsely on the process with zero evidence. Um, when you know media crew show up, they accuse media crew, as this happened in 2020, of bringing in ballots in late at night, which was quickly debunked, but still out there mm-hmm. as a conspiracy theory. And so what it, what it became was a combination of the city of Detroit and all throughout Michigan, us having a very transparent by the book process, then in the eye of this conspiracy storm, uh, and then individuals who have, were motivated through those conspiracies to try to interfere with the process, while we simply can try to protect the safety of the workers and the process itself from those who would try to disrupt it while also trying to maintain those transparency goals and, and other pieces too. Yeah. I, I think one of the things we've learned from the recent indictment is how extensive the efforts were to try to disrupt uh, the counting of, of ballots and then, of course, the certification of those ballots in Washington. I, I, I want to talk just a little about how narrowly we avoided uh, that kind mm. of disruption and and how close we came to maybe not being able uh, to to have the votes that were cast 
counted uh, for the person they were they were mostly cast for what what were the what were the probabilities or the possibilities i guess from what the president was trying to do uh, in that window between november of 2020 uh, and january of 2021 well you know i vividly remember being on a call with the attorney general uh, before the election where uh, we were, and, and many others, were kind of gaming out the, the, the ways in which individuals could try to disrupt the process and the plan that we started to see unfolding, both before and after the election. And uh, I remember she said, my God, they could succeed mm-hmm. in overturning these election results, and or you know, regardless of what they are. And in that moment, I remember reacting internally by saying, we're going to make sure that that doesn't happen and that the law is followed. And so it was really this sheer determination and will that we all had at every level, um, simply make sure that whoever won any election was the, was declared the rightful winner. And, and, and throughout the process, we were being transparent, responding to evidence of any wrongdoing, which there was none. Uh, but at the same time, keeping that North Star of truth and the will of the people as our guide and our determination. Mm-hmm. And so, it, but, it, but it, we really did come very close, not just in Michigan and other states, where it turned on the decisions, frankly, made by a lot of Republicans in the legislature uh, in, in response to sham legislative hearings and others to not um, do what the Trump campaign allegedly was wanting them to do and pressuring them to do and trying to block the certification or overturn the Electoral College process or votes. Um, And so I've said all along, in my view, ultimately, the will of the people prevailed in 2020 in Michigan and elsewhere because people of integrity on both sides of the aisle did the right thing. And I'm grateful for the Republican lawmakers and other leaders around the country who said no to the president of the United States pressuring them to try to overturn a legitimate election in their state. Yeah. I'm talking with uh, Jocelyn Benson. She is the Secretary of State here in the state of Michigan. We're talking about the indictments yesterday of former President Donald Trump, federal indictments, four counts uh, that allege that he engaged in a conspiracy uh, to commit fraud in his efforts to uh, disrupt the certification of ballots in the 2020 election, uh, the counting of ballots, uh, of legitimately cast ballots in that same election. We'd love to hear from you, the listeners, during the conversation as well. Give us a call and let us know what you make of what happened here in November of 2020. Do you remember that night uh, when there was a, a, a physical effort to disrupt the vote counting here in the city of Detroit? President Donald Trump described Detroit as totally corrupt, a place where you couldn't count on legitimate ballots being cast and counted. Uh, Also, what do you think about the way we handle elections here in the state of Michigan? Do you think that's secure enough? Is it protected enough? Or do you worry about how Michigan conducts its elections? Do you have ideas about how you think it could be better? 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you in the conversation uh, that way. Uh, Jocelyn, before we get to listeners, I want to have you talk about uh, not just what you've done since this all happened in 2020, but even before, uh, you were really focused on the idea that we could do better with election security here in Michigan. Uh, what are, what, what's the pushback against what the president said and what some folks in our state tried to do to make sure that if they were to do it again, 
uh, it might not be uh, as easy or certainly not successful. Well, I think a couple of things. I mean, one, we always want to make sure that if there is any evidence of malfeasance or wrongdoing, then we are investigating it and addressing it. And so we always welcome that. And, and But we don't want to conflate that with this kind of, you know, evidence-less and meritless attacks that have been really escalating, frankly, since 2020 and, and becoming almost a, uh, well, not almost, but becoming a political strategy to raise money, to gain celebrity, to run for office in this state and other states, uh, and in some cases even take over the, the state Republican Party. And, you know, in that scenario, we have to continue expanding the transparency, inviting people, as we do before every election, to see the machines used in an election publicly tested uh, and verified prior to being in any election and other different things that our courts have been doing, hosting town halls and conversations, explaining the process, inviting people to serve as poll workers so they can see firsthand just how many secure protocols there are in place to both affirm the identity of voters and the validity of ballots before they're counted. So we're continuing to do all that and and do so proudly because believe all of us in the election administration community in the uh, integrity of this process and, and one that's only been strengthened in some ways by our increased work to create transparency. But notably, the uh, the tactics and the allegations haven't diminished since that that increase in in, in work has happened. Mm-hmm. It's only increased in um, in um, tenacity and in volume uh, and in vitriol, and that's particularly troubling. But that said, my focus I've I've I'm hopeful that political leaders will always choose to do the right thing and follow truth and the law over lies and. and conjecture and conspiracies, but our focus needs to be on the voters and the citizens of Michigan and all throughout the country, because they're the ones who really have the ability to think critically, consume uh, truthful information, and then act accordingly in supporting leaders who do the same. So so you mentioned the rhetoric and the vitriol that uh, I think you're right to describe it as as escalating and not waning as we get closer to another uh, presidential election. I wonder if you think that there will be a similar effort, that they will try to do this again next year. Yes, we're certainly assuming that yeah. um, because it's the smart thing to do. We often say we hope for the best and prepare for the worst because that's how, if any, effort it comes, whether it's from you know, the top, a nationally coordinated effort um, or a grassroots effort, we have to be prepared for every potential um, or, you know, an international um, uh, effort to interfere with our elections process. Mm-hmm. And so what we learned from 2020 is two things. One, to ensure we p- are putting just as much attention and energy and focus on the post-election certification process, the audits and the like, as we are in the lead up to the election and on election day itself. So we'll be doing more of that. And we did more of that in 2022, which is, I I believe, why you saw one of the reasons why you saw a a smoother process post-election than in 2020. But we know that it's now become a strategy to try to disrupt our elections and a way of furthering results that don't reflect the will of the people, but perhaps reflect the the view of of the will of a few politicians. So we're ready for that. Um, We're mindful of the fact that the state Republican Party is led by uh, individuals who still have not conceded or accepted the results of past elections. Uh, We're uh, aware of the 
of the greater attention at the international scale um, that many international leaders and governments will have on the election results and prepared for the potential for international, you know, imposed election interference as well. Um, So we're looking at all potential vulnerabilities as we always do. But I'm confident because of what we came through in 2020, that democracy will prevail again. And also because we as citizens are in many ways more ready than ever before to defend our democratic process. And that's what I've also seen escalate these last few years. More people serving as poll workers, more people defending the vote alongside of all of us. And that gives me a lot of hope that we'll we'll emerge from this moment with a healthier democracy as a result, because citizens will keep pushing for the democracy to survive, even if leaders and politicians try to stand in the way. Yeah, yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Rich in Northville. Rich, what's on your mind? Hi, right, how are you doing? Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, well, it, it, you know, it seems there's uh, uh, an official would have the right to question an election and make sure that the count is correct. It seems like there's a bias when it comes to which party does that. When Hillary Clinton and Al Gore did that, it seemed to be okay. But when someone that the mainstream doesn't want to see in office has been fighting ever since they came into the picture, which has never been done, at least in my lifetime, in the history of this country, which kind of throws red flags for me. It's like, usually, okay, we won, we lost, we accept it, we move on, and whatever. (laughs) Where were you from 2008 to 2010, Rich? (laughs) The first two years of Barack Obama's presidency. But but, but, but go ahead. Go ahead and finish your point. Um, Well, I was, was, you know, I voted like, you know, I usually did. But, I mean... I kind of stay out of the politics of it. You know, I think that's what this is. This is, you know, political baiting. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of race baiting. There's a lot of political baiting. And what's happening is the narrative is being flipped. So, Rich, you know? I, I do appreciate your call. Uh, I, I do want to correct one thing that you've said. There, no one is saying that, that Donald Trump doesn't have a right to question uh, an election or, or, or to challenge the outcome of an election. What he's charged with, though, is engaging other people through false information that he knew was false in an effort to disenfranchise uh, other voters. And so uh, it's the difference between speech and fraud in the law. And I know it can be confusing and it may seem like it's like what Hillary Clinton did or Al Gore uh, did but what Al Gore did when he was worried about the election results in 2000 was he went to court and filed challenges uh, to to make sure that you know the vote counting would continue that he thought would 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 prove him the winner. That's very different from trying to inspire essentially uh, an illegal disruption of the vote counting and and certification. Uh, I, I get it. I get that uh, it's hard to, to make these distinctions sometimes, but but it's important to pay attention to the details uh, of, of what's going on. Uh, Jocelyn, I wonder if you have a re- reaction to Rich as well. Yeah, I think and I, I hear you, Rich, about the, um, the, the, the feeling of the political nature of all this. 
and um, and what I try as a as an attorney and former law professor as well to try to do looking at this is is just focus on the evidence. And you know, if there is evidence of wrongdoing, if there's evidence of of vote tampering, if there's evidence of of of, of fake ballots and all the other things that have been alleged. And, and we've all said this, and let's let's see it, produce that evidence, and we will investigate it and certainly hold anyone who has actively tried to um, uh, commit uh, that type of fraud in, in the elections process accountable. Uh, and we've done that and on a small scale whenever that has occurred in, um, in, in different communities around the state, and there's a, there's a record of that. And so where there's evidence, then I think there needs to be a response. But when there's no evidence or when there's been no evidence produced or when evidence has been debunked, then at that point, I think truth has to prevail and the law has to prevail in enabling us to go forward, regardless of what political party is benefited by that, in my view, because that actually does keep politics out of it and keeps the law and the truth as our North Star. And so I would encourage you to also go to um, a fact check webpage that we have set up and has been updated for the last several years. Every time we hear an allegation or a question about the election or um, or concerns about it or even the process itself, we answer that with facts at Michigan.gov slash SOS fact check. And if there are things that aren't answered there, you can submit them for additional um, responses. But we're very much just focused on making sure when there's evidence of wrongdoing, we um, pursue it. And in this case, the evidence of wrongdoing was on a former president who, despite the lack of of evidence of of wrongdoing in an election, continued to cast aspersions on the process. I would argue knowingly that there was no data to back it up, but only to cut to further political goals and partisan goals and disrupt and create chaos. And that is, in my view, what we're really trying to fight, because all of us should recognize that's not who we are as Americans. And I believe both parties can ultimately, hopefully, or citizens who affiliate with either party could see that we need to have a process that works and is secure and then respect the results of that process, even if we don't agree with them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and again, Rich, I really do appreciate you listening. I appreciate you calling and wanted to be part of the program, even though we probably would disagree on uh, about 90 percent of the things we talk about with regard to politics. Uh, I love uh, the the rich tapestry of opinions that we get here on Detroit Today. I want to go next to Destiny in Royal Oak. Destiny, what's on your mind? Hey there. Um, I just had to call in and say that um, I was a poll worker that night um, at the Cobo or the convention center. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I want everyone to know about being there was the poll workers, we take an oath to the Constitution of the U.S. and the state first thing in the morning when we show up. We take that seriously. We're there because we care about people's right to vote. Um, the poll workers, the all the employees of the city of Detroit clerk's office, they were fair, they were organized, they were kind in the face of really aggressive Republican poll watchers. Mm -hmm. And when things really started to heat up and people started showing up and chanting stop the count and all that stuff, we were actually counting the votes of our service members, of our men and women who are serving And for all the talk about, you know, from the Republican side about how much they care about the military and blah, 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 they wanted to disenfranchise the folks who are serving this country. Mm -hmm. And it was scary. We we were escorted out a back door by security so that we weren't, you know, so that the people amassing and pounding on the windows trying to get in 
did not know when or where we were leaving. Right, uh, Destiny, I, I'm really glad you called because that first person perspective is really important. That was a very uh, disturbing and at times frightening night here in, in downtown Detroit. And, and what was being attempted, of course, was even scarier in the, in the sense of the threat to our republic. Uh, Jocelyn, I've got just about a minute left before I need to end the segment, but I want to give you a chance to respond to Destiny as well. Thank you, Destiny, for your service um, and to all the poll workers who have uh, lived through on the front lines what many of us have seen over these last few years, because you are the reason that democracy has prevailed. You are the heroes in our elections process and our uh, democracy itself. So thank you. And I encourage others on both sides of the aisle to consider serving as poll workers as well, because you'll see both how how um, aboard and secure the process is. Mm-hmm. And you'll also have an opportunity to tell the same story she has just told about the work, uh, not just the pressure, but also the work that we proudly do to ensure no matter who someone votes for, that their vote is counted. Yeah. Okay, Jocelyn Benson, always great to have you here to talk about uh, elections and election reform and security here on Detroit Today. Thanks yeah. for joining Thank us. Thank you for the great conversation, as sure. always, Stephen. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue talking about the Trump indictment and the consequences for him and the GOP. This time we're going to welcome a Trump voter who was originally from Michigan to the conversation. Hear what he makes of this, whether he's still supporting the former president. Also want to continue to hear from you on the phones and on social. Got a few folks still hanging on. Uh, Hang in there. We'll try to get to you as well. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. For news that impacts your community. Music that moves your soul. And conversations that matter. W. D. E. T. Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. Thanks for joining. We have been talking about the recent, most recent indictment of former President Donald Trump, and we're wondering what Trump voters in Michigan around the country make of the indictments that have been coming down. What do they make of the direction of the Republican Party? To talk about this, we've got a guest with us who voted for Trump twice and is originally from Michigan. Bob Carey is a retired Navy captain. He now lives in Washington, D.C. Bob, welcome to Detroit Today. On the show. Yeah. So uh, what attracted you to Donald Trump in the first place? Why did you vote for him in 2016? Why did you vote for him again in 2020? He addressed a lot of the issues that I was really looking at, especially things along the lines of how the Department of Veterans Affairs helps veterans and and the Department of Defense with the military. He laid out some very clear policies. Uh, You know, there's criticism of uh, probably justifiable of uh, of President Trump uh, not having very good, you know, defined policies in his campaign. But I'll, I'll tell you, in VA reform and, uh, and and our national security interests, he had he had really well defined policies. And so, you know, that that's what attracted me to to him in uh, 2016. Mm-hmm. And in 2020, you know, uh, again, uh, I I looked at the choice between the two uh, candidates. I mean, there was 
third and fourth candidates, but you know, it was really between President Biden and President Trump. And I, I preferred President, uh, President Trump because he was a conservative. Uh, he would limit the size and the growth of the government. And I also appreciated what he was doing for the VA and for the Department of Defense. Hmm. Well, uh, th- those are those are really interesting reasons to to cast your 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 vote. I, I do wonder, though, now three years later, uh, what you make of the indictments that he now faces for behavior uh, in in 2020 in particular. Um, but in some cases, since he's left office, right, uh, we're seeing a number of charges leveled against the former president. Uh, as a supporter, what do you make of those? Well, first off, it, it, for the 2024 election, I'm actually supporting uh, Governor DeSantis. Okay, uh, I'm not against uh, President Trump. Uh, I like I like Governor DeSantis, fellow Navy veteran. He gets the job done down in Florida. He knows how to use the levers of power, and I appreciate that. And I, and and uh, I, I like him, so I'm, I'm supporting uh, I'm, I'm supporting Governor DeSantis for the 2024 primary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, as far as the as far as you know, two of the two of the sets of indictments are from the same uh, U.S. attorney, and he the special prosecutor, yeah, uh, special pro- Okay, so I'm yeah. sorry, special. No, pro- that's okay. Go ahead. Uh, uh, and, and he consistently has a pretty broadly developed uh, um, indi- indictments and, and, and charges and specifications that don't hold up. I mean, I was just reading through this. I was just reading through the the, the latest indictment uh, about the uh, activities regarding January sixth, and it says that uh, it, it fundamentally misunderstands the Electoral Count Act and the Constitution as to what is the requirements. For the electoral count process, uh, you know, it says you really think Jack was, Smith, who is the special prosecutor, doesn't un- understand the electoral count act? I think he, I think he misquotes it in order to be able to achieve a political purpose. Hmm. Uh, so, what do you make though of of the the main substance of these charges, which is that the the, the former president committed fraud uh, by inspiring people? to try to either appear as alternate electors, fake electors uh, for states that uh, he lost, that he did not get the majority of votes, uh, and that uh, by pushing this theory that somehow these votes were stolen with no evidence, uh, that he also helped incite the January 6th uh, riot at the Capitol. Does that does that resonate with you in any way? Well, he was not charged with in, uh, inspiring the riot, he's charged he with charged. with committing fraud. That, well, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. But, but 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 one is a charge of violence. One is a charge of fraud. Right. Well, and I'm asking about charged, the. He, he yeah. was, I'm asking yeah, about the charge. I'm asking about the charge of fraud. Well, again, the Constitution doesn't say that states have to assign their electoral uh, delegates by the popular vote. And states decide that themselves, right? Exactly. Right. And, and all state, of the states at issue had decided that the popular vote would decide who their electors were. No, actually, many of them had uh, additional methodologies that they could have used in order to be able to try to, uh, you know, I mean, do you think that it would probably would have worked? Probably not. But to say that what he was trying, what President Trump was trying to do mm-hmm. was patently illegal. 
and fraudulent mm-hmm. is not the case. And the, and the fact of the matter is... What makes you... I, I'm really curious. What, Bob, what makes you a, an authority? On well, that? every politician in the United States is a fraudster. Uh, I mean, because the, 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 because because, because it's it's called spin. I mean, I've worked I've worked I've worked politics for for decades. I worked in the U.S. Senate for um, for for uh, a senator from Michigan for mm-hmm. uh, six years. Mm-hmm. Um, I see I see all these politicians putting spin on things in order to be able to put their position right. in the best you, light possible. But when you use false information to inspire people to break the law, right? That's fraud. It's different from so one, it's different so, so, from so, so, spinning so, somebody to vote for you, for instance, or to support you, isn't uh, it? Others will say that's false information. I mean, that is why we But have, it's not against the law to convince someone to vote for you, right? Uh, it's the and it's, it's not the against, act and it's not to, and it's not against the law to try to use all the pro- processes available both as in the Constitu- Article Two of the Constitution right. and with the Electoral Count Act. But if these I mean, were if these were part of the regular process, why would, for instance, the people who signed those false affidavits about being electors here in the state of Michigan also be being charged with crimes? Right? If if they what they were doing was just part of the process, why are these why are these considered crimes? Because I think that many of these special prosecutors. And these attorneys believe that believe that supporting President Trump in and of itself is a crime, and they don't look at the process. I mean, everyone wants to have a popular vote methodology for electing our president. Well, we don't. That's a relative. I mean, we don't. And, yeah. Well, no, 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 no. I'm saying, I'm saying they want a popular vote by the states, and then they want the states in order to be able to. But some states, you know, some states will divide up their electoral votes by proportional, mm-hmm. um, by proportional uh, voting, or they will run their electoral votes by congressional district, and then whoever wins the popular vote then gets the two senator electoral delegate votes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's nothing in the Constitution that says that an elector. No, but states have, have a process to abide by what a state wants. Right, states have a process for doing that, though, and they decide that before votes are cast. You don't get to decide after the votes are cast that you don't like the election results, and so you're going to use an, a different method than you've decided before. And that's that's actually what was, met, actually that was many at. states. Do. You actually, can't decide. Do have that process? No, they don't. You, you actually, there are processes to challenge elections. There are not processes just to change the outcome because you don't like it. Uh, Bob, I, I do really appreciate you coming on and talking with us uh, here on Detroit today. Obviously, we disagree, but I think uh, it's really important to give the space for us to be, have that discussion. Uh, and have that disagreement. I will say before I let you go, my biggest problem with you, Bob, is that you're a graduate of Brother Rice High School, and I went to U of D <laughs> Jesuit, so that's why we can't get along. <laughs> but I do. <laughs> nah, another another great school. <laughs> yeah, another right. Great school. Exactly. Uh, I really appreciate you being here. Thanks. Thank you. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Tune in tomorrow. We're going to re-air one of our favorite episodes, one that looked into the realities of human trafficking here in Michigan and all across the nation. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.